You're listening to another episode of the Just Go Bike Podcast. That's AKA Murph. And that's AP, Andrea Parrott, Parrot Talk. And this is the podcast where we talk about cycling just for the fun of it with tales from all across the nation. Come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. Oh my gosh, how is it December already? How is it December already? This is crazy. Felt like, I mean, I was just eating Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> like 30 <laughs> seconds ago. <laughs> well, and I was just starting the year out. You know, we were all under quarantine and it was like, you know, is this ever going to end? Yes. And here it is a year later and it really hasn't quite ended yet. Well, no, but yeah, you're right. Actually, I was. there were certain times during Ragbri where I literally thought, time stood still. <laughs> yeah. I guess it did eventually pass, but uh, we had a good time doing it. But, oh man, there were, I, I, you know, and, but on the other hand, I have been writing 2022 on everything since we announced the logo. Oh yeah. <laughs> so right. it kind of goes both ways. Yeah. It's that quarantine time. It has no meaning. <laughs> we're still kind of in the middle of. True. But I will say, you know, we're both in Iowa and even though it is, you know, we're into December of 2021, the weather has been beautiful. Like, I don't know yes. about where you are. We're a couple hours away from each other, but wow. Yeah, I actually have had the windows open in my office all day today. Very weird, but welcome. I have been actually outside on my bike quite a bit. There you go. Yeah, just go bike. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, what kind of biking do you do in the wintertime when it gets cold? Well, when it's nice like this, I sure do ride outside. Yeah. Uh, but my, I have a personal rule that I don't ride my bicycle outside when it's under 40 degrees because I've slipped on the ice on my bike before and mm. I don't really have a slick weather appropriate bike. So I do trainer life. Yeah. But, you know, it works. It fulfills its function and I can then be ready to go as soon as it's warmed up in the spring. So true. Yeah. How I, about you? Yeah, I am a fan of the fat bike. So mm. I I did a post on my personal Instagram that said something to the effect of, it's fat biking season, which of course, uh, a lot of people ride their fat bikes year round. I, you know, sure. it, I don't need the big tires to get through snow yet, but it's just kind of a, I don't know, I always feel like a kid when I ride my fat bike. So that's um, <laughs> pretty excited here well, I guess it's global, but December 4th is actually Global Fat Bike Day. So, oh. yeah, I've got an event set up in my uh, hometown to get a bunch of people together on their fat bikes and, you know, cruise around and all act like kids together. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. Well, I would like to challenge you to oh. ride your fat bike on a trainer. <laughs> Ooh, or on rollers. Wouldn't that be Ooh. fun? Yeah, just for funsies. <laughs> I'm not going to video it. <laughs> All right. All I know. Right. Well, I know. It. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, well, we have a good interview that we're going to listen to in a bit. But before we get into that, should we throw out some a few reminders for people who are listening to this in December 2021? Yeah. Well, now through the 1st of April, RAGBRAI 2022 registration is open. Nice. And as a reminder, there is no lottery. So first come, first serve. Mm. Come and get registered for RAGBRAI. Um, don't worry, there are plenty of registrations available. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just a nice way to, now that weather's getting colder, to look forward to the summer. We talked about it on the last episode, but the route announcement party, that registration is open now as well, right? 
Yeah, it's open now. Uh, so, and we got some really cool stuff planned for you, what mm. we have in store for the route announcement, Sweet. Um, including some familiar faces that will be helping with the presentation. So it'll be kind of, it's going to be fun. <laughs> and when you go um, online to check it out, you know, just a little bit about the event, it shows the glasses that we get, you know, like they have collector's Ooh. glasses and they're really cool. Little sneak preview. <laughs> yeah. So to register for Ragbright or for the route announcement party, you can do all that on ragbright.com. Um, and if you can't find it in the menu, a little slider cycles through and <laughs> the preview photo on the website will show you yeah. um, the option. Just wait for five seconds and then it'll come up. Awesome. <laughs> so. And that event is January 28th. And of course, uh, the expo, the Iowa Bike Expo is on January 29th. And that event is free, but just wanted to make sure everyone has it on their calendar to come yeah. to join. Yeah, it's going to be the Iowa Bike Expo is going to be so much fun this year. As we're just to re- we talked about this in last week's episode, but um, all the eight overnight towns for Rag Bike 2022 are going to be there. Nice. So you get to a little FaceTime with the the celebrities of next year. Yeah. So awesome. it's going to be it's going to be neat. And we haven't had that bike expo in a, a couple of years now, so mm-hmm. it's just going to be so much fun to see all the new stuff, all the new bike clothing and bicycles and trips you could be taking on your bikes it's just such a fun time to really regroup see your friends and get ready for another year of cycling yeah and it benefits the iowa bicycle coalition definitely well speaking of cool things we have an interview coming up right now from none other than brian powers one of our cohorts co-hosts for just go bike yeah yes and it's gonna be a great interview but with a uh, heather i'm so sorry i'm gonna murder her name heather Paskovich, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll hear him say it. He'll say it correctly. Yeah. Um, but she is an ultra cyclist and talk about hardcore. Oh my gosh. So she did, I think it's called Raw, which is Ride Across the West. And okay, that's, you know, whatever. We all ride across Iowa. Okay, it sounds whatever. Uh-huh. Big Nine, whoop. 930 miles. And take a guess, Andrea, how long it took her? Um, two months. Three days, two, <laughs> yeah, three days, two hours and 31 minutes. So oh my gosh. she is amazing. This interview is really, really cool. And it, it may not inspire you to want to ride 930 miles in three days, but she's really, really inspiring. And she's from Iowa. Yeah, she's from Iowa. And I believe she's a doctor. Well, you'll find out more about her in the interview. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about her or seeing more, uh, Powers does have a photo gallery available on the Des Moines Register website. So if you look up her name, uh, it'll pop right up. All right. Well, let's take a listen. Last week, I caught up with uh, Central Iowa cyclist Heather Poskovich. Now, Heather, when she started cycling in 2015, said she didn't think she had an athletic bone in her body. Uh, she started cycling just for the fun of it, and after losing 50 pounds, she found herself chasing down people on group rides here in town. After that, she spent as much time as she could training, and when a family trip to see the Eclipse lined up with a premier gravel race, she jumped at the chance to get into the world of ultra cycling. We spoke after her second place overall finish at the race across the West, and we talked about the twists and turns of trying to ride through a pandemic which Heather saw firsthand as an ER physician. She also talks about the highs and lows of the 930-mile race and what she relied upon to get across the finish line in Durango, Colorado. So with that, here's my interview with Heather. 
take me back to, I guess, how'd you get into riding? What got you into bikes? And then not just bikes, but then into the, the ultra distance. Well, truthfully, I had kind of a, a goofy background as far as I never really thought I had an athletic bone in my body. And I was actually significantly overweight. And so I started riding with the idea of becoming more fit back in 2015. And initially at that time, I lost 50 pounds total with cycling. And then as I was riding the trails, I'd start seeing people in our community, you know, that were riding faster than me. <laughs> and they were little targets and want to meet these people and start rubbing shoulders with more people. So I ended up on, you know, some group rides here in town, the Monday No Drop Ride, which is an awfully friendly social ride. And people were saying, this is a recovery ride. And I thought, no, I'm, this isn't a recovery ride. I'm actually fueling for this. And I'm hiding <laughs> in the back, terrified, <laughs> which then evolved to Yumi Compete, another morning ride. And then set a target to ride with the fast kids on that group. So I hid in my basement for a year pedaling with <laughs> Ruby, <laughs> trying to get stronger. And then, I don't know, it just, after I lost the weight, started, you know, meeting the community here. Um, I wanted to kind of celebrate my change in lifestyle. And so I thought I'd ride the triple bypass. So I thought I'll do the double because I'm from Montana and I love climbing. <laughs> so trained for that. And then it was the one year out of 29 years that I got canceled due to forest fires. Oh, so we no. still rode out there anyway. Um, pretty much the same ride, a little less climb over a couple day period as well, just for fun. And then I had all this fitness and this ride I never really got to do in my mind and Gravel Worlds came available and we were going out there anyway for um, an eclipse with uh, the family. So I was like, well, I'll just try this 150 mile gravel ultra. That should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first uh, solo race that I really went into to race, which I had no concept of what racing is at that point. It was just try to get to the finish line, which I did and was passing some people in our community here that have great reputations for being solid riders. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I can do this. And then the wheels came off the bus and rode more rides. They got longer and <laughs> then raw came along. <laughs> So race across the West, it's 930 miles um, Oceanside to Durango. Correct. Right? Yep. Wow. Um, so this is a multi-year process for you, right? Because you had intended to do it last year, right? And then it got canceled. Correct. Through the pandemic. And so you put in all this training. What went through your mind when you heard that it was canceled? Um, it actually was a blessing um, for me. I was, you know, as a supported ride, it was going to be my longest ride. You know, all the things that come along with supported ride is that you're asking a lot of other people to come and assist you to do this task. And so, you know, if you're going to put all the time and effort into that and the cost and, you know, have other people's lives on hold to, to assist you, you want to make sure that you're going to be able to carry through. So I had a lot of personal anxiety about my capacity to finish the race. So it was actually kind of a blessing. So I ended up riding the Big Sky Spectacular instead, which was a 968-mile okay. unsupported race in Montana, which was perfect. <laughs> so at least, you know, that you know that ultra riding is fantastic for pandemic because I can be in the middle of nowhere and I don't see yeah. anybody. I'm not at risk and I'm not putting other people at risk and still got to train and then, you know, confirm for myself that I was capable of taking care of myself and capable of being able to complete a distance like that. So it actually was a great progression. So you were able to figure out you could do the distance, build that confidence, and then train through essentially 2020 for the ride right. this year. And I still got to race anyway, you know. Win-win. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Um, what did your – so what was your training like uh, for Raw? Um, 
Well, so after Big Sky, I took some time off because same, these are such huge events. You spend a lot of hours training. Um, I kind of detrained for November. Um, Big Sky was back in August of last year. And then I started back up with training in December. And so, you know, it's winter in Iowa, which is a real treat, (laughs) trying to navigate building hours. So we start with like some intensity work, you know, trying to keep time expectations lower. And then as things progress, you know, start building your volume and longer and longer. So almost flipping on the head the traditional, like, I guess, training mode of a lot of base, a lot of miles, a lot of time initially, and then building up to intensity and specificity. Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, there are components of that, but, you know, you still have base miles that you have to complete in the winter. And so, you know, I did have some six to six hour training rides on the trainer in the basement, um, which is just chalk it up to mental fortitude training. It actually has its own benefits. You know, I think it's useful training too, but, you know. you you carry through with a plan you know intensity gets carried all the way through to the end it's just you know you have to be kind of reasonable that you're not going to do 20 hours (laughs) so easily in January in Iowa it's just not feasible so it is but it would be miserable oh gosh so we try to make a balance and so how do you balance that level of volume on the bike with you know a, a work schedule and specifically you know an ER work schedule and then through a pandemic well you know, for me in the emergency room pandemic, you know, I'm shift work. So there's a benefit there in so much as when I'm on, I'm on, I'm at work, but it wasn't like, you know, catastrophe where I'm getting called in in addition to my base schedule. So, you know, ER is actually kind of nice being shift work. We work kind of all over the map and that allows me to squeeze in my training pretty much everywhere around that. Got it. So your hours didn't necessarily shift, but just like it was packed in during those 12 hours. Well, I mean, yeah, I, if our shifts are like, you know, 8, 9, 10, and then some 12. So it's like, you know, you work an 8 or 9-hour day, then, you know, if it's a morning shift, I'm going to train at night. If it's a afternoon shift, I'm going to train in the morning before I go to work. Got it. My days off are going to be long days <laughs> on the bike. Jeez. <clears throat> um, and then what about, like, the support that you have to have at home for that? Because you're, you know, obviously, like we were t- talking about, just having long days on the bike, you know, with a family at home. You know, that has to come with support from them too, I'm sure. It does. I'm I'm really blessed in that regard. My husband is amazing, and he's been very tolerant of these last few years um, because it is a huge time commitment, and unfortunately, you know, that does kind of aff- – that, that affects them, and I have to be cognizant of that too. But both of them, my daughter, she's 11. She's she's a big cheerleader, which is really great. Um, and my husband, he's just been amazing and very supportive through all this. In fact, he's like – he's a project manager for by his career trade, so he ends up becoming the master planner of all this nonsense. <laughs> he helps with, like, the cars, the really? flights. I mean, he had spreadsheets set out too to like help coordinate where everybody is flying in and where they're getting cars and who's doing this and that and a lot. He's very cool. supportive. <laughs> Were they out there at all with you for Raw? Um, no. Um, he actually drove out and met me in the desert <laughs> uh, somewhere along the route. And then uh, my daughter, she was with the grandparents getting spoiled. Sure, sure. So that's fine too. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, so let, let's get into the race a little bit. Um, I mean, who was your crew going into it, and what was your game plan for the race? So I had a big crew. Um, you know, you can complete this with kind of a skeleton crew. If you, I mean, a bare minimum would be four people. I think that's not really too feasible. I think you should consider at least six. I actually had a bigger crew with eight, which then entailed three vehicles. Um, my crew chief is Greg Grand George, who's my coach, and he's also my friend now. And <laughs> he also was the other individual that really – took up a huge amount of um, 
the load as far as planning and whatnot. And so, you know, again, because of my job and all my other expectations, like he really helped offload a big burden for me as well as my husband. Um, and then local people from here in town, I managed to rope in half a family. Deanne Hirsch, she's a teammate of mine from Velarosa, her husband, Joel, uh, her son-in-law, Mike Healy, um, my other teammate, Rose Wiley, uh, Jill Marks, who's helped with Ram and Ron, uh, competitors in the past bill becker who's done the same um that was the crew and then my buddy rob jemison too he's a friend family friend they did great posting updates and stuff throughout the ride yeah they did a great job um and so did you have like an overall plan of what you wanted to do time you wanted to accomplish it in or were you taking it day by day um i had a plan the plan didn't go as planned (laughs) (laughs) this was an insanely tough year as far as temperatures so you know uh greg with all his uh chart capacity had multiple models of potential you know based off my power and expectations and road conditions and weather conditions and you know we we had a plan I fell significantly behind that but the entire race field did as well really because of the conditions this year so it was just a tough year and like what were the conditions out there uh heat advisories in the desert (laughs) so it was uh our car at one point read 118 degrees fahrenheit we actually literally had signs melting off the door we had a black tahoe i still haven't come clean with Velarosa that one of their signs is uh disintegrated (laughs) so um that was really really tough what how did you mitigate that sort of i guess get through that sort of heat on a bike well we took a lot of um training steps ahead of time you know it wasn't quite hot here in Iowa we got a few 90 degree days before I left so I actually did like a heat adaptation protocol which was you know doing some intensity workouts and then actually sitting in a hot bath Mm. (laughs) for uh, you know a protocol over several days Um, I had a core monitor which actually kind of measures core body temperature just to give us an outside guide of you know are things changing? And if they're changing, how do we mitigate that? And I'd been training with that before I left. So we kind of had some just extra information available to us. Um, and then, you know, I got out there a few days early, which I would have liked to have probably spent a little more time there, but I got a chance to go ride in the desert before the race and just feel what it's like to be in that kind of heat. How much am I going to need to drink? Cooling strategies. Jeez. Yeah. So as it, as it progressed, um, you're working your way through the desert, uh, at what point, how did your mentality shift through the race, or did it at all? Um, it didn't shift. Well, I mean, I guess that's not true to say. You know, I had a plan. I was really excited about the plan. I really felt like it was a viable plan until we hit the desert. And then the reality was, you know, this is just um, the conditions are really, really tough right now. And it's you're not going to be able to hit the, the target that you've planned. And now you have to uh, change your thinking of well what what really means the most to you well finishing the race means the most to me finishing it as quickly as possible and as safe as we can is you know our secondary goals so how do we you know how do we navigate through these headaches so it was you know cooling cooling strategies in order to continue to move forward wow um and do you remember like can you describe a a high point and a low point of the race and what you did to both celebrate the high point and get through the low point? Well, high point was, uh, I suppose the first part was the beginning of the race went well. I actually, um, went out before race start and wanted to kind of sniff out the glass elevator. This is a a big descent into Borrego Springs. Um, traditionally it's been known to have some wind and can be a bit challenging. Descending is not necessarily one of my strengths. I like to climb a lot more. 
So I had a hiccup there that I had a tire blow on me on the training ride on a descent. My front, my front wheel, the tire blew, um, going 30 miles an hour, almost 29 miles an hour. <laughs> so I was terrified to come back to that thing on race day. And I didn't oh, want to disclose geez. that to anybody before the race because I didn't want to like put that negative feeling out there. But that was really in the back of my mind. So, you know, when I came back to it, the winds were very low. The conditions were great. I mentally just decided to let go. I had to let go of the trauma of that event and ride this race. And, you know, it, the descent went well. And in fact, I would have ridden it a little faster. I still was kind of coming off of being a little mentally scarred. So that was a high point to get through that successfully. Mm, low point was definitely there were the overnights, couple overnights were really rough. Getting to Kayenta was extremely hard. I was really, really fatigued. Um, I kind of I knew there was a car behind me and I knew Greg was in the car with me, but I somehow mentally had forgotten that there were two other people in the car. I didn't really recall that they were even like coming up to feed me, you know, just not quite there anymore. I couldn't focus on the road. So oh my gosh. I'm not going to say I'm ever going to be a fan of Kayenta. <laughs> <laughs> and the second night, the same thing, the fatigue was just so overwhelming that I, I, I was trying desperately any way I could to get off the bike and the crew was like you know you got to keep going you got to keep going and they're you can't get back in the car <laughs> which was then my unsupported way was like I don't care I'm gonna I'm gonna sleep in the ditch and they're like you can't do that you'll get a penalty <laughs> which is a lie <laughs> I know it's a lie but it, it was just those were low points of you know not performing to my expectation at that point being so so fatigued it was a little bit more than I expected was there what did you did you have a mantra you'd re- repeat to yourself or did you think of anything in particular or was it just purely just pedal just uh pretty much just pedal I mean I I, the reason why I I bike you know besides like fitness is to you know I like to push the envelope obviously but I like to see stuff you know try and enjoy the scenery around you know in in supported racing you have a car full of people that are entertaining you (laughs) along the way so you know enjoying their company along the way too what was your favorite food along the ride oh gosh uh, I didn't like any of the foods. At the, <laughs> that's what I learned at the end. You know, we start out with a plan. That's something that, again, I would I would rehash as far as having more options as we go along because it's like you have this little short menu of things you can get. Well, by day three, your little short menu is unappealing. <laughs> so have a second menu. Um, we had like little deli sandwiches, peanut butter and jelly. I ate a lot of grapes and strawberries. Cold. Oh, a little cup. Anything cold, I'm sure. Yeah, that was delightful. Gosh. Um so then the end of the race, I think, is really interesting in the fact that was it you and three or four other people three, yeah. were four. essentially neck and neck coming into Durango um, and finish time separated by minutes on this race, 930-mile race. What was going through your mind as you, as you came in and you were kind of in those final, say, 50 miles, even 30 miles? Did you know where the other people were or – Oh, yes. <laughs> we were painfully aware of where everybody was on the course. Uh, that, that's what I'm, I guess I'm saying, like, my, you know, my last night, I just, I kept dinking around, dinking around, dinking around, uh, you know, and when the crew was warning me, you know, hey, BJ's kind of, he's making some ground. Andres, they're making some ground because those people were behind us. Lee Juring was commanding the race pretty much the entirety, and I'd get about nine miles away from him and then he'd pull ahead and I'd creep up 15 miles nine miles I mean so close in such a huge race and then he was somehow creeping ahead again um I don't know yeah we 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 knew well about each other we actually physically saw each other we were racing with each other um it was a lot of fun actually that was that was one of the highlights for me (laughs) I was like we're racing it's 880 miles into the race and we're actually really racing now (laughs) (laughs) 
That's so cool. It was amazing. Jeez. Uh, so you, you get to Durango. Um, you know, what is, I guess, what is like the last mile like? I mean, at that point, can you see the finish line? No, this was a disaster. <laughs> so, you know, they have a route book and um, the route book is the Bible. When all else fails, your GPS or whatever, it, it's outlined about 72 times in all the rule books and 140 pages of stuff to read that the route book is the rule book. But the name of the road didn't match up to the route book in this particular case. And since BJ had gotten there first, his crew was still kind of drifting around. And so my crew, you know, both teams were already out. Like everybody was out at this rate trying to come see the finish. And so they actually had kind of sniffed out where it was. And my Garmin kept reading one more climb and it was just really ridiculous. I was so fatigued at this point. It was kind of surreal because I literally was like five miles from the finish. And I think I stopped on the side of the road and Greg got out and I told him, I was like, you know, I'm good. I don't need to go up there because the Garmin <laughs> kept reading one more climb. And I was like, where the heck is this stupid climb? I can't see it. And I told him, I was like, I don't need to go through the arch. I'm good. I, I've gotten what I need out of this event. I'm good right here. And then I kept thinking to myself, gosh, you know, what if I don't? I don't actually <laughs> technically finish the race. So I guess I got to go up there. But, it, it, like, it was a turn up the hill. And, you know, my crew members actually kind of, like, positioned themselves at key turns over that last mile or so to make sure that I went the right direction. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. One more climb. <laughs> There's always one more climb. Right. <laughs> so when you cr- when you do finally cross the finish line, what's what's your first thought? Oh, I was so glad to be done. <laughs> I mean, I was I was super thrilled. I knew uh, BJ had beat me, and then you know so he he deserved it. He won it outright. I was a little disappointed that I couldn't um, close that gap a little bit better, but um, I also was thrilled to have such competition at the end. It was just a hoot. But I was really happy to be done because I was really tired. <laughs> it was hard. So second place overall, right? Correct. Awesome. Yep. Just amazing. <laughs> um, was he still there? Was he? He was still there, yeah. yeah. And then Andres was there too. So it really was kind of neat uh, when we finished, you know, that there were three three riders there, three full crews. Everybody was cheering for everybody. I mean, a very wonderful sportsmanship. You know, we all were, I mean, it's a huge event for all of us to finish. That was just fantastic. So we should share in the glory. <laughs> That's awesome. And how far ahead of everybody else were you? was that pack? Oh, we were quite a ways. You know, I actually don't know the next break point of when the next rider came in. I know Lee was... Lee Juring was also in that next wave, and I think Mark Gibson. Uh, and then there was a bit more of a break after that. So probably the first five, and then there was another probably a few hours break. Wow. Looking back on it now, did it meet your expectations? For Did you meet your expectations? Did the race meet your expectations? I mean, or go far and beyond? Yeah, no, I mean, I got everything. I really, I was very adamant about it, and I still feel that way. I I got everything out of the race that I wanted. I, you know, the distance was right for me and the progression of where I've gone with my training right now and what I want to do. Um, The experience was there. As always with Ultra, something fun will crop up, such as, you know, heat advisories in the desert. So (laughs) it was fun to navigate through that and problem solve through that. It was great, yeah. It was, did what I wanted it to do. That's awesome. Um, Any lessons that you've, that you've taken out of it that as you continue to I mean you just like riding bikes so as you continue to train and ride and have fun any lessons that you have learned from that to um so I would specifically for supported ultra 
and depending on what your strategies are, I guess I learned a lot about raw versus, you know, tackling that mental hurdle of going to RAM, how you're going to manage your sleep. You know, raw is much more uh, conducive to trying to go with as little sleep as possible because it's really a sprint distance compared to RAM. You just really can't, you can't go on so little sleep, I don't think, in RAM and continue to be successful, whereas you can kind of poach your sleep a bit on raw. And I think that's, you know, really what the top top finishers do to get there or else they're just really strong <clears throat> or the combination of both. Um you know, there's always fueling strategies, cooling strategies. But for me, I'd say sleep. Sleep was a big one that I would make some changes going forward. And I learned about myself, you know, about what my real needs are to continue to be successful. Sure. I mean, you have to go to some pretty dark places to get through some of those nights, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, I guess I whined a lot about feet and groin issues, you know. So these are other things that I have to come back to to reevaluate, you know, apparel, um, positioning on the bike, seat choices and again so I've got some time to kind of navigate through that for my own personal learning but those are <clears throat> obviously big things that are going to affect any writer that's going to try to tackle a distance like this yeah, yeah. and I also I also don't want to get through all of this without saying you know you were doing this for a charity as well correct right who were you riding for and and how did that partnership work out so we were riding for the urban bicycle uh food ministry here in des moines and that was fantastic so i mean it worked out in so much as that what we were hoping to do was be able to kind of fuel costs for t-shirts which wasn't a lot but the bigger thing was to try and um, get the word out for these guys about what they do which is um, food and services to the underserved in our des moines community and they do that by bicycle so i also wanted to highlight you know that you know the bicycling community here in Des Moines and the metro area is, is strong and supportive of people in this community and they're doing great things and you know it was a great partnership as far as kind of giving them some you know just kind of highlighting that they're here and what they're about mm-hmm. and hopefully people will contribute to their to their cause because I think they do a wonderful thing. And if I if I remember right they go out every Thursday right every Thursday night I think Correct. To, to hand out burritos and or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches I think yep. that they make they meet beforehand at a church to make and then hand out hand them out by bike every Thursday. So um, if anyone's looking for, for information on them, it's Urban Bicycle Food Ministry on Facebook um, to get in contact with them. I think they're always looking for people to go out and ride and Absolutely. Yep. join up. So um, I'm trying to think of what else I had. Uh, I, I, I think that was the gist of it. Is there anything that you wanted to add? Anything else you wanted to talk about? Make sure we touched on well, I mean, I guess from a race perspective, there's not much else. You know, my other sponsor was uh, Velarosa Cycling. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I think that they're a wonderful group. They're they're actually the founders of our race team, but they have an apparel um, line now. So they actually outfitted me with all the <laughs> the clothing for the race. So I think they make a great product, and I really enjoy them. So if you if people are looking for good apparel, they're a place to go. Um, outside of that, I the race was great. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> uh, so disclose what you want, but what's next? I mean, what do you have? What's on the horizon for you? Uh, I don't have a lot on the horizon, shockingly. I'm actually taking some time off right now to just ride my bike for fun. <laughs> so. And what's that look like? What's riding your bike for fun? Well, it's been a couple of weeks of recovery, so I could actually sit on the bike and start to enjoy it again, which I'm finally getting there. Uh, I rode Elkhart time trial last night, which was the first time trying really hard. So, you know, getting to the point that you want to vomit on the bike, that's always a plus, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now I guess, you know, ride around, catch some gravel. 
Uh, I kind of stayed away from that, given that I was doing a road race. I think they're both effective mediums, but I just really wanted to be comfortable with my road bike and the time trial bike, which was a new acquisition this year. I don't know. Have fun. Maybe some bike packing. Go to Montana, play in the mountains. Cool. What's it like training for mountains in and on the gravel roads of Iowa? Yeah, that's that's always kind of fun, actually. Uh, that was a topic of discussion with the RAW uh, committee before the race, and they kind of threw out this curiosity of, well, we don't know what these other people are doing, how they're training for that. And I don't know, you know, I, I haven't got, I've been out of Montana for a long time. I go back frequently f- for visiting and, <clears throat> and riding for fun and some training and whatnot, but it's just different. You know, we're not at elevation, so, you know, that's always going to be a consideration if you're racing at elevation. Um, but the hills around Iowa, especially south of the metro area, people think Iowa's flat, but that's, that's very untrue. <laughs> yes. Um, they're short and they're punchy and they're hard and they're relentless. They, they require a little bit of a different mindset and kind of power structure to approach them. They're not like a, you know, a three mile or five mile mountain climb that you kind of pick watts and go. It's, you've got this ugly hill in front of you and it's going to make you hit big watts and you're going to do it or you're not getting to the top. So different, Um, but it's effective in its own way too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a mind shift. Like Mm -hmm. you said, I've never ridden massive mountains, so I, I can't compare it to anything like that. But when you, when you, get to the top of the hill and you feel completely gassed and then you see seven more (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly it's not quite like that in the mountains you know they have they come with their own challenges elevation is tough weather changes that can come being in the mountains that those are hard things the actual climbing itself is more predictable i mean they're usually geared towards bigger vehicles coming through too so you know a six percent grade maybe you have a few little 12 percent grades that are short but you know you just kind of pick watts and you go and mm-hmm. hold it. And I'm not, they're, they're both challenging in their own right. It's just, they're a little different. Sure. Um, what about like the elevation change? Once you climb up to a certain point, I mean, you can train legs to climb, to do climbs and stuff like that. But I mean, how do you train for the elevation? You just... Well, I mean, some people will go to extremes and, you know, like use masks and, you know, even tents and things of that nature to to do that. That's, I've never personally done that. I actually tolerate elevation change pretty well. Um, You just have to understand that you're going to take a hit in your power and be cognizant of it. Cool. I, I've, I've never even really been to elevation, so like, oh. I have zero experience with you'll, that. You'll feel it, and you'll you'll note it. Like, <laughs> you know, this race wasn't it didn't ever get that high. I think we peaked out at, like, 8,200 feet, you know. So it's you can't ignore it. You feel it, but you're already, like, pretty deep in the land of suck anyway. <laughs> so it's like are you, I'm sucking because of lack of oxygen or I'm just sucking in general because we're, like, <laughs> 50 hours into this race. So, to, you know, just do what you can do and keep moving. You know, you're, you're struggling the same as everybody else on the course because most of them are in the same situation unless they're lucky individuals that live at elevation. So mm. it is what it is. Jerks. <laughs> I know. Lucky. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time again to come out. Uh, I really appreciate it. Congratulations. Thank you. On your awesome finish. Thanks. And uh, good luck. Be safe out there. I will. I guess the other thing I would say, too, is just, you know, I, I hope that this inspires other people to want to come out and try bikes. You don't have to be such a nut. <laughs> but, you know, being active, seeing the sights, try something outside of your comfort zone. You just never know what's going to happen with it. Yeah. But well, the, the trail system we have in and around the metro is incredible. It is. And the road system outside of the metro is nice. Mm-hmm. But the gravel system is 
that you can access so easily is unsurpassed. It's so fun. And everybody out there is very welcoming. And, you know, you have interests, you express interest, everybody's going to welcome you into the fold and teach you what they know. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, if people did want to connect with you, how can they find you on social channels? Um, Facebook. Um, also, I have an Instagram account, HP Ultra Cycling. So feel free to reach out. If you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, listeners, that's it for this week. We both want to thank you for tuning in to listen to the Just Go Bike podcast. And if you'd like to contact us with a comment about the podcast, or maybe you have a topic in mind, you can reach us at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media at Just Go Bike. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, especially if you're a fan. And if you have extra time, pop on over to the Morphology Podcast for more bike adventure interviews. Okay, that's a wrap. We'll be back next week. Until then, just just go go bike. bike!